0: This is Conversations from the Center, episode three. I'm Chris Bratton.
1: And I'm Dalida Maria Benfield. This audio series is a project of the Center for Arts, Design, and Social Research in collaboration with Sylvain Suclay.
0: This episode is called Transformations of Material, about things becoming other things.
1: This time, we are introducing a few new elements a performance work designed for listening, and an audio piece that closes our time together.
2: My name is Sylvain Souclay, and today during conversations from the center, I will have the pleasure to talk with Hector Canonge. He is an artist, a performer, but also someone who is bringing people together during festivals, but also residences. With Hector, we will explore
3: New York, his home. Modulo 715. Uh, Modulo 715 is a, uh, became my home studio working, um, a very beautiful place. Um, it was a brand new apartment in Queens, in New York City, uh, in a neighborhood where I had never lived before, although I have done many, a lot of work there, uh, community work, I work with organizations, I work with schools, I work with kids, so I was familiar with this neighborhood, and it's one of the most international neighborhoods um, in the city, you can find the uh, 133 communities, ethnic communities, um, living in this, uh, around here, um, so... That became my home, um, and Modulo Seven One Five became this also production studio. So I opened up this monthly residency program, which was convivir, you know, living with, um, and that's how Modulo Seven One Five, my home residency, became open to us to for artists all over the world. Um, and i had many artists from different places coming here uh, to new york city uh, living with me in the studio in uh in queens and doing this production dialogue um and and basically uh living together for a period of time the longest that an artist stayed uh, was 15 days um Artists from Russia, artists from China, from France, from Spain came and stayed uh, in the residency program, yes.
2: Um, If you want to, you don't have to, but could you uh, tell us a little bit about how
3: the the residency ends? On Sunday morning, May 27th, uh, early morning, 1 a.m. I got a call that my uh, my place was um, on fire, so that the building was burning. Uh, I had my nephew um, visiting, um, and I gave him the weekend to visit, and possibly the whole week he was going to stay with me. Uh, Because I was planning to stay away, Um, he called me and he said, you know, uh, our place um, is on fire. I don't know what to do. They don't let me in. They took me out. I only grabbed my phone. Um, He was crying and he was sending me live feeds from his phone. I mean, he's he's a a 20-year-old, you know, young man sending sending me this stuff. Uh, I was in shock um completely didn't know what to do i was 3 hours away from new york city i didn't have a way to get back immediately so i was actually shaking they had to they had to calm me down and you know i couldn't calm down finally they put me in in, in a car through another friend artist and i managed to get back to new york city at 7 a.m. To find everything burned, so that was the that was the end of a period in my life um, that came, you know, abruptly. I returned to New York City in in January of 2019 to start again from zero. So how many times do I have to start from zero? You know, that's the thing. But I'm still here, and so I'm questioning that even now. You know, during the the confinement, it's like, why am I here? I'm here um, and living on a day to day. You could say even suffering a lot because we've 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 been through a lot in New York City. And again, I am not in. Um, let's say, you know, in Manhattan, or I'm not in one of those privileged uh, neighborhoods of New York, I'm in Queens. Um, Again, I got back to Queens because I really like this uh, place um, where I've seen the suffering of so many people. I've seen immigrants, destituted, um, undocumented people, walking the streets, setting up their, you know, little tables with uh, milk crates, asking for food, uh, having no masks. I have, uh, there's a hospital nearby. I've been listening the helicopters every night, you know, whether to transport dead people or to take them to a special facilities, just flying over 2 a.m. in the morning, 3 a.m. in the morning. I've seen the trucks, um, you know, these big trucks, like they're like freezing, um, you know, the they, cold freezing trucks to transport the dead. Um, but I'm still here. Uh, I'm still here. And I think I can do, I can still do much in this, in, in the city, uh, in New York, although it may not be the right place, uh, but for now it still is, Yeah. So I've always come back to New York to kind of give me all this energy. And, and I, you know, whenever I come back, I do feel that energy. Uh, I do feel that I am here. I belong here. This is my city. I'm a New Yorker in that sense.
2: With Dalida and Christopher, we talk about the performative and sonic nature of conversations from the center. And today, we would like to start a new experimentation. A series about audio performance. Not only a documentation of an actual performance, but a performance dedicated to be listened. We are starting this series with Tamara al a performer based in London. A lot of questions remained about what is an audio performance. And today, we are starting with one
4: answer. Today, I am grateful for my neck. New age, privileged hippie speak. I am awake to my neck's fragility, privilege. My ability to run, privilege. To be whistled at rather than chased, privilege to be stared at rather than shot. Privilege. I don't feel like making art anymore. To make art, mix one part most exotic heritage with two parts Western gaze. He always says homosexual instead of gay or lesbian. Sprinkle in antitheses to your otherness, smoke a cigarette in shorts, he'll salivate, gather saliva, drop to your knees and rub it all over yourself. Just kidding, don't do that, fuck that. Anyway, I had a dream the other night. I was grilling an oversized slab of juicy, fatty meat with said white man. The raw meat kept falling and oozing between my fingers as I maneuvered it, its juices dripping all over me, down my arms, into my pits. He lifts my arm and gives it a nice, long lick. I place it on the fire and it rages. I dive in. He watches. I don't feel like making art anymore. Not for you, that is. I don't feel like making art anymore. 34,361, 36,570, 100 children, 168 adults, emergency calls ignored, Lampedusa, Italy. Call Malta, call Malta. Please, please, we're dying. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Mama. I don't want to make art anymore. It all seems so goddamn absurd, doesn't it? To what end? What am I doing standing here in front of you? I'm not standing in front of you again. I'm done. It's not me. It's you. We're done. Because I'm strong enough to live without you, strong enough, and I quit crying long enough to know you gotta go. Anyway, I had a dream the other night that I was home. I was so at home it was as if I'd never dreamt of leaving. The sun pierced my skin like microneedle roller and the warmth felt like the warmth you only feel when closing your eyes facing the sun. You know, that orangey-red glow where your eyes are open inside your lids and you can see your own skin. That wasn't the dream. That's just what it feels like to crave home. It's what I dream of dreaming of. The dream doesn't actually exist. I'm making it up because I want to talk about home. About cravings. About the sun and the dust. About the duality of loving something that hurts. About the tension in the air when my body lands. About desire. About edge play. About how home feels like erotic asphyxiation. About how I'll never get over you. About how I'll always love you. I miss you. Well, that was a tangent. Anyway, I don't want to make art anymore. But I do want to talk to you about a question. Where are you from? It always goes like this. Where are you from? Sometimes preceded by an apologetic awareness. I'm so sorry to ask this, but your accent is so different. Where are you from? Sometimes it's a small talk or lack of anything substantial to say, or worse, a pickup line. Where are you from? Here, I have to make a decision. I can say Saudi, which has its bag of worms. Do I want to have to play the role of educator, to be an example of modernity and ultimately have my excellence reduced to my westernization? I could say Bahrain. It's ambiguous. People don't know it. I can just say it's a small island near Dubai. Dubai is chill. People like Dubai. Or, I can say Saudi slash Palestine, this is a good one, roots out the Zionists. All answers, though, are always followed by, oh, but your English is so good, you must have gone to international school. Here I have to make another decision. Either, I went to university in Boston, lived there nine years, so I picked up the accent, which is true, but it qualifies my excellence as Western, as white, as American. The truth is, I've been speaking English since I was born. My parents spoke to my sister and I in both English and Arabic fluently, and they put us in French preschool, elementary school, and I took it in middle school until I moved to Bahrain. And then I took a break from language, and then I did Italian in university. So the truth also is that many Saudi girls are great with language. Most of us speak French, and a lot of us speak fluent English. But no, my excellence can't be Arab. Where are you from? Really, says. You're not from here. You're not like us. You are not us. Where are you from can be thoughtful, it can be a desire to understand identity, to connect, but it often, almost always, is not. Where are you from is also existential. A generation of contemporary Arab and our global diasporic contemporaries cannot answer this question, and more so has an existential reaction to it. This generation are descendants of the diaspora, of grandparents who fled wars on boats, of parents who went to boarding school in Lebanon until the war broke out, a generation that inaugurated international existence, and a generation that followed, that grew up in a diaspora craving home. Home. Where are you from? I'm going to tell you a story. You see, I used to be somebody. I could feel things in my viscera. I could move. I was quick. It all happened excruciatingly slow, and now all I feel is vile building up inside me in my chest, my gut. It starts small, A tiny gesture of hate, something masks the secret intention, but it is vile, you hate yourself. It's self-hatred bottled up in the prettiest mirrored bottle, I've digressed. You see, I used to be somebody. I spoke of institutions of brown bodies, queer bodies, female bodies, I commanded attention. I held space. And then I fell apart. Apparently you have to fall apart to be loved, you have to fall on the floor, flay yourself, open yourself up for me so I can love your rotting flesh, writhe for me baby, die for me baby. I burnt it all down for you, cracked myself open for you, destroyed it all for you. You still want me to cry for you, baby. It's all I do. Cry for you. Die for you. Give away my magic for you. Give away my magic for you? Then tell me, who are you? Do you know? You writhe around me, wrap your fear around me, fear so deep you can't name it, name it. Who are you? Do you know? So many yous, you echo you. You've lost you. You repeat each other's words like they're your own. You think I can't tell who came up with them, who fed them to you. You like my words, do you? I know. I like them too. So listen up. These are for you. You see, you think you've figured it out because you practice silence. Silence is complacency and complacency is death. You break all the rules, don't you? as if I stand here for you, as if I stand in relation to, as if your rules were ever made for me, as if my excellence can't be Arabi. She recites in a voiceover a lyrical text addressed to an unnamed aggressor, a you that shifts between an ex-lover, the Western gaze, and the persecutors of her Palestinian great-grandmother. Her elegant switching of perspective combined with a direct questioning of the viewer, who are you, do you even know? Subvert any reductive impulse towards superficial monolithic interpretation. Dominance is muddled. At one point, a stylist pulls the artist's hair while at other moments in a black leather outfit recalling BDSM aesthetics, she clearly gives the orders. The relations of power that bear on the body within society are scaled down and re-inscribed by the artist and her staff who transfigure control and silence into pleasure and voice. Erotic asphyxiation. Home. I miss you. I don't want to make art anymore. I just want to tell you about my dreams. I keep dreaming of you of slathering dried black lime that I crushed between my thighs. It burns your lungs. You ache for me and it crystallizes. I've never been home. I never left home. Are you ever coming back?
0: Hello, I'm Chris Bratton for the Center for Arts Design and Social Research. How do we understand transformation and flux, the movement of one thing not only to another, but in fact the process of that thing becoming another? Ideas and form, human and more than human, human, here into there. Welcome to Transformation of Materials. Today we have a distinguished panel of artists, activists, researchers that we'd like to now introduce.
1: Hi, I'm Dalida Maria Benfield, and I want to introduce our group of conversants. Um, who will be talking about the transformation of materials. We have Laura Porter, who is an artist based in Paris. We have Wambue Collymore, who's an artist based in Nairobi. And Kiberu, Dennis Kiberu, who's based in Nairobi, an artist and producer. And Adam Sings in the Timber, who's a photojournalist based in Providence, Rhode Island, U.S. So the opening question then is, how do you think about the transformation of materials in your practices? What becomes what? Where does one thing begin and where does it end? And what is the transformation that that entails? Who wants to start?
5: I think I can start because I like to use everyday objects in my installations and these everyday objects have several meanings Um, and it is within those meanings that then the audience can use their own experiences to interpret the artwork so say for example with Harambe 63 I used gumboots gumboots can be used in agriculture they can also be used in guerrilla warfare um, gumpus can also represent uh, labor, but they can also represent slavery as they did um, with South African miners. Mm-hmm. So I think objects don't necessarily have one understanding or one perception. They have several meanings. And I think for me, my artwork is around that type of tra- transformation. Mm-hmm. That's It's so
1: interesting, the idea of the histories that the objects carry with them, and how a transformation might mean revealing those histories. Um, Who else wants to talk?
6: Yeah, I feel like we had a little bit of this discussion before that there's kind of some similarities because I'm also using a lot of found materials or just existent materials, or or just materials that you might have in a domestic space um, um, that you might eat that come from different places and uh, try to juxtapose them rather than transform them. And maybe the transformation is a type of um, metabolizing or making sense of um, and just that putting something like in a project called Insole, I made a kind of braille carpet uh, on the ground that was transforming actually a, a sort of Ava foam, a very refined plastic and a f- thermoforming it in the same way that you might make a plastic cup to uh, thermoform a text of beans and then put it next to different stages of the growth of beans mm-hmm. and project pixels onto there. So to have like different readings for something like a bean and uh, and just thinking of the floor in this case as a type of screen to, to make mm-hmm. sense of something.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so interesting too. It, it seems to evoke the idea of of hy- hybridizing something mm-hmm. too, which is maybe a, a different kind of transformation or a kind of impure transformation. Yeah. How? What, do, what do you think
7: about it? Mine is a bit different because I work with music, and um, with music I feel sometimes it it can go both ways. It can be direct and indirect. You can choose to be well. In my case. <laughs> We we've done projects with some some producers. Uh, one of them is called uh, Tunji. There's a, another dude whose work I like is called um, What's his name? Joe Mutoria. Now he did a, uh, a project that I was observing with the Maasai community, and they were talking about um, in the song. His the song is called uh, The Maasai Trap. They talk about how um, they need, constantly need to actually kind of uh, integrate with modern society. Not leaving behind their um, indigenous beliefs and practices, and uh, in that song, the gr- uh, there's a girl who's talking about how she wants to move, uh, you know, out of the village and actually get, uh, you know, some semblance and or form of education. But uh, her father is like um, this really, really big Maasai herder. He has like 500 cows, and he believes to him that is wealth, and uh, thinks very little of education. And uh, with that song, this girl cries out to the father and go and pleads with the uh, with the father to like uh, let her go into society and you know bring back all this knowledge to the village.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. I think it connects um, with with Adam's work, and I and I wonder um, in your photojournalism, and I know you have many different projects, but one of them is uh, indigenizing colonized, colonized spaces. And I wonder if that indigenizing is also a transformation of spaces. How do you think about that?
8: Um, yeah. So I think w- the work that I do, indigenizing colonized spaces is is, so in the United States, basically all of it is on stolen land. It was once, not, it didn't belong to native people, but we were, it's where we lived and we sort of belong to the land as much as the land belonged to us like we see it as our mother and then we were pushed out or it was stolen from us and now there are cities there and so what I think that I'm doing is transforming it back for that moment in time when I'm walking with an indigenous person typically a woman in, in regalia and we're taking those moments and we're collaborating and we're transforming that space back to what it once was so, or, or we're showing the woman like who are who we were we're still here and so we're transforming even if it's just for that moment and then Mm -hmm. it's always it's like forever now in a photograph Mm -hmm. but we're definitely talking about or we're showing that it's indigenous land that we're still here that they were not extinct and I think that's a thing in the United States is that a lot of Americans view native people as being extinct or at least assimilated into society and that's that's not true obviously Mm -hmm. and so that's a part of what my work it, it does is it one the first thing is it uplifts indigenous people especially the collaborator the woman that I'm working with, and then all the people who see it and, yeah that's,
5: cool. Uh,
0: I mean something that strikes me in hear, hearing all of you is is as uh, Dalida observed earlier the question of history and how history informs your work and thinking about. The, um, in a way, the transformation of a present into a reflection on a historical past or, histor- let me put it perhaps another way, the, the enduring sort of historical kind of record that then is revealed through these materials. The question I have for you, though, is really about as you work as artists, thinking about taking the, these, these already existing materials, transforming them, and in a sense imagining a new future and and that mm. it's that question of sort of both history but importantly mm-hmm. too that new future
1: so it's kind of like also like the 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 transformation of the present it, right yeah. and and
0: the trans, mm. the transformation of that history in a way that history becomes the mm. occasion to imagine that future
8: mm-hmm. yeah so my the, the basis or the, the drive of my work as a photojournalist and a documentarian is sort of what a lot of us um, call like reclaiming our narrative. And, you know, when you Google Native American, it's always uh, photos from the past. And they're always photos from Edward Curtis, who was not Native, but he photographed Native people. And so what I do with my work and what other photos or Native photographers are doing is we're trying to be the authors authors of our own um, narrative. So we're showing contemporary Native people, also um, honest photos of, of uh, Native people, because Curtis, he wasn't always truthful and honest in his work. Like, he wasn't always showing the true sort of Native person. And so kind of what you we were talking like an
0: about. Like an ideal, or a, a kind of racially idolized, idealized version of yeah. Native people. Yes,
8: exactly. And so right. what I'm doing... Mm -hmm. so that
1: this Mm -hmm. time
8: is does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
5: Similarly, my work is looking at um, the stories told about Kenyans, um, and my focus in the past has been about independence history and adding to the stories that are existing in a subjective archive. Um in an archive that depends on colonial documents and depends on lists. So adding the voices of the people who can tell the story about a history that happened, and in this way bringing their voices to the table because for the longest time their voices have been silenced because their stories, their 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 oral retelling is not considered a valid form of archiving. Mm-hmm. So I bring history, first from these people and present it to an audience that might not necessarily be able to access it. Um, I feel very strongly that a lot has been written about Kenya and its independence history, and its history itself, and it's only accessible to academics. Mm -hmm. But through my artwork, I want to bring it to an everyday person so that they themselves can also add their experience, and in this way we can create a new archive. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing, that dimension of actually transforming Transforming the archive right um, that through a transformation of materials it then actually transforms a whole field of knowledge um, and and histories and voices. Um, I wonder Laura, how do, do you think about that question of archive directly in terms of where your materials um, come from?
6: Yeah, I find that often I'm focusing on some uh- tool and and the genesis of that tool whether it be a type of currency that's something very tangible that people decided to um, make together whether it be a a coupon in a local you know uh, region or or whether it actually be a piece of of, of a coin or or reworked coin or something like that but i i think that um putting those, those types of histories since the, the objects themselves and these tools themselves uh, are there, but, but so taken for granted almost like appendages uh, to, to, to reconsider them, uh, especially when something like currency itself is, is in a total transformation that we're not really paying attention to as, as material.
5: Mm. Mm.
0: Kibiru, let me ask you a question about your own work and, and sound. And sound um, the uh, the way you think about transformation, where your sounds come from, wh- the way you recombine them, and where you they go.
7: Okay, for me now it's a bit different because I've uh, I'm I'm a I'm a guy that's grown grown up in the city. Um, my rural area is within the city, and I feel like um, with since I come from two communities, I have no history whatsoever of these communities, and each time I try to find it it becomes a bit difficult because... Could you say which communities? uh, I come from the Kikuyu and uh, Akamba community, and um, there's a history there. For example, I don't know the meaning of my name. Uh, I don't know the meaning of the name Kiberu. And each time I ask, nobody knows. And so I feel like um, there's a lot of history and or uh, events that have happened that have not been talked about and have not been actually, you know, kind of been given to our generation by our parents. And that's the, the kind of uh, thing I want to do with my work I want to bring the voices of our history back with music and that's why um, the collaborations with the Masai, uh there's a certain um, there's certain uh, album I think you can find it on Spotify though it's not mine uh, it kind of mm, it's called The Sounds of Soabab The Sounds of the Samburu People yes and um it helps It helps those, I feel for me, it'll, it will help a lot of people who feel like they don't have a history or they're not connected back to their roots. Mm. And with sound, I feel music never ends. It will be there for, you know, uh, millennia. And to me, I hope to speak, uh, you know, these histories through my sounds. Yeah. Thank you all.
2: Zeno van den Broek a Dutch sound artist based in Copenhagen, is giving us his interpretation of conversations from the center. He created a sample-based composition made of voices from the future. Gracias.
1: I
4: think
1: I'm not going I am and it's my work, work and it's and it's marked I that. I've got to something in. I have to would be under 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 Probably about weird,
0: and you.
1: am This <laughs>
0: condition i like think
4: um, well, and,
1: we'll
0: and, and, in
2: space,
1: uh,
4: people have even well
1: being out i've
0: heard
2: uh. Uh. hello
0: Dre. Hello. And so. Uh, Mali. usha usha um, so really one that in in add to the and,
1: and, and, to speak in from a Pose
4: On three There
2: Some
0: In
4: Self
2: Of danger.
1: Could I this The I think um, I Free <laughs>
0: The outside
4: um, in Kent, Ken- uh, very uh, Chris. Uh, a uh, just, just, just,
0: that
1: that's a number of you
5: yes 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 Yes, it's
1: is obvious. So I'm so, so, so. to, so, so
5: to that level of that level yeah. of. Okay. <paid noises> <reward>. <ConferenceUNS> <Water>. <Joker> it's cool. it's, it's cool. the thing, it's the thing at
1: all. I'm Nairo. I'm Nairo to the
7: hold that level of that level of UK.
0: This has been episode three of conversations from the center called Transformations of Material.
1: Thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information about this episode, you can visit us at centerartsdesign.org or send us an email at center.adsr@gmail.com.
0: You can also find us on Instagram at centerartsdesign, on Twitter at centerartdesign, and our Facebook page Center for Arts Design and Social Research.